Hi, and welcome back to Everything I Learned in Theater School. Today, I thought it would be um, a good idea to address what is you know, maybe sort of the fundamental um, uh, element, aspect, something, skill, not really, but um, fundamental thing of performance. Um, and like always, this is, uh, you know, I'm talking about acting, um, but it applies to any discipline in theater, outside of theater, um, that if you can do this, you, you will improve whatever you're doing. Um, so yeah, I just want to bear that in mind that this applies, um, you know, across the board. And also I just want to uh preface you know I, I may have said this before but i just want to clarify that anything that i say on here you know talking about my memories from theater school uh things that i was told that's all you know my memories so i might not be quoting uh a particular teacher or fellow student or colleague verbatim um yeah some things may have gotten lost in translation or or I'm, you know, sort of putting my own spin on things. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of make clear uh, there's there's no gospel in here at all. Um, I only hope that what I'm sharing, um, whether it's, you know, what I'm pretty sure the teacher said or, you know, my own sort of new take on it, I hope that that is useful uh, and helpful and um you know, interesting to you. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, that's, that's really all. Um, so yeah, so now what I wanted to get to, um, it, it's the breath, right? There's not, I mean, I, I started to, you know, build it up, uh, as if there were going to be some big reveal, but I shouldn't. It's it's very simple, and it's incredibly important, and it is for a number of reasons more difficult to do than it should be. At least it's more difficult to do than it seems like it would be. Um, so let's let's sort of talk about why that is. Why is it hard? to breathe. And when I say breathe, I mean breathe in the most sort of healthy, efficient, um, and kind of optimizing way in terms of your performance, you know, to breathe in a way that you will benefit from the most in your performance and whatever discipline. Okay. Um, so why why is that? Why why do we have a hard time breathing? I there are a number of reasons. So let me just start at the beginning of life and say that um there are I, I think there's no better sort of um s- subject uh as far as you know if, if you want to learn how to breathe we'll say properly, if you want to learn how to breathe efficiently, healthfully, you know, uh, all that, there's no better point of reference than 
a baby, a human baby. If you have a human baby in your life, your baby, your friend's baby, your you know a cousin, a nephew, whatever, um, watch them, especially when they're sleeping. Um, I mean, you could you could watch. Uh, uh, most people when they're sleeping are doing it more efficiently than than when they're awake. Um, but especially a baby, you know, whether they're sleeping, whether they are just having a good time lying on a mat somewhere, um, just watch them the way that they breathe. Notice what their body looks like when they're breathing in and what it looks like when they're breathing out. Okay? Um, and I'll just say for my own, for my part, I didn't learn this until... I want to say my second year, my sophomore year of undergrad. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, how how does someone go through that much time? You know, I I did theater all through high school, so four years of that, a couple of years in middle school, um, and now one year of uh, undergraduate. And I still don't properly know how to breathe. Um, you know, we we all we all know how to breathe to an extent that gets the job done, right? Where where we can talk, where we can have a conversation. Um, but the thing is, in theater, especially in theater, um, it's not real life. And if you were to I mean, just listen to me, like the way that I'm breathing, the way that I'm, you know, making up these sentences as I go, um, you know, I have some idea of how much breath I need to say them, um, but it's not, it's not planned out, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but if you're doing theater, you have a script, you know what the words are going to be, um, and there is an expectation from the audience that you will be interesting, right? Um, and if you are sort of muddling your performance with breaths at strange times or times that sort of maybe distract from the incredibly high stakes moment that's happening on stage, um, you know, that that can be an issue, um, just you know, just like it would be in music, right? If you're getting, if you're singing a song and you're right at the climax of a song, but you haven't got enough breath, and you have to sort of stop to catch your breath to to hit the rest of that high note, that's that's an issue that disrupts the performance. So it becomes really important and essential um, that you know how to breathe in a way that that is of greatest benefit to your performance. Um, right. So it's it I went to theater school, so I learned this when I was what uh you know, 19 or 20. And it occurs to me that a lot of people go through their whole lives without sort of properly relearning this, right? Because we know how to do it when we're babies because it's just what 
you know, what happens uh, in nature. It's, it's just the way. Um, and then we sort of learn, we learn new habits. Um, and one of them is often breathing in a strange way that doesn't totally serve us. Um, and then depending on, you know, what sort of path we go down, we might sort of relearn how to breathe like we did when we were babies. Um, but we might not. And that's fine. Um, but if you want to know, it could, it could benefit your life. So uh, let's get into it. Okay, so a moment ago, I mentioned this idea of learning habits. Um, that is something I, I would love to, to draw a particular distinction um, between what is natural and what is habitual. Um, so I, I think a lot of people will say, oh, I, I just naturally do this. So this is my natural blah, 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 right? When in fact, that's their habitual thing. What's natural is anything that you know how to do um, when, you, when you are born and, and that you don't, that you don't, learn from somebody that you don't pick up from somebody um that's that's natural like if if it's instinct that's natural and, and again you, you can have your own definition of it that's totally fine i'm just giving you mine and it's it's helpful um and it sort of takes some pressure off of off of you and um it, it does for me anyway that uh you know, I feel like I'm doing something wrong or incorrectly or inefficiently. If I think of that as natural, then gosh, what's wrong with me? Um, but if I frame that in terms of, oh, that's habitual, that's a habit that I've learned, then I have agency to unlearn that, to rewire my brain, to change things. Um, so I I do think that the words that we choose to use when we talk about certain things have a lot of power and probably more power than we realize, um, more power than we realize we're giving those words as we use them. Um, so yeah, just to sort of step back. So let's say whatever you know how to do when you're born, you know, that's natural. And whatever you start learning how to do, um, once you've been in the world for a little while, those are the habitual things. So breathing as a baby is natural. But then we start to practice habits. We, we start to learn habits and then we practice them, which makes them habits. And that starts to really shape our, our actions, our abilities, our behaviors. Okay, um, I cannot tell you why we start to breathe in a different way, in a way that is less efficient. Um, but I can put some ideas out there that might contribute. So um, let's see. Well, you know, let, let's just have a look at, okay, what does it look like when a baby breathes? in this sort of natural way. And then maybe we can think about, well, why would we, why would we tend to 
go in a different direction based on that. Um, and I should say this is also true of, you know, animals, right? If you have a dog or a cat, um, you can, you can, you know, have a, a gander at them while they're just going about their days and they're just breathing. But yeah, especially if they're, you know, like lying on their side or something and, and you can see the, the rise and fall of their bodies, then that's fantastic. Um, and that, that can sort of clue you into a more natural way of breathing. Um, Oh, and and again, before I get into all this, uh, so when I, at the end of my freshman year, um, when I started doing a movement class, it, there are a lot of different um, sort of uh, styles and, and philosophies that ran through that class that, that gave it its shape. Um, but one of those things was what's called Alexander Technique. Um if you're not already familiar with Alexander Technique, uh, it was developed by an actor a long time ago. Um, now it has applications across all disciplines, um, you know, mostly in performing arts still. Um, but yeah, you can, you can use it for anything. You can use it in sports. You can use it if you sit at a desk all day. It's incredibly helpful. Um, but the idea is that, uh, you know, we have we develop certain habits that obstruct our um, you know our ability to move efficiently in our bodies um, and so we sort of want to peel those habits away um, and and go back to how we moved when we were babies and sort of start to yeah relearn those kind of natural efficient ways. Um, there's there's tons more to say about this, and I will definitely um, talk more about that in future episodes. Uh, but I just want to say that as a point of reference. So, yeah, I started learning movement um, with uh, you know with sort of one foot in the Alexander Technique camp. Um, my my movement teacher at the time. Um, was, you know, a certified Alexander teacher. Um, and then I'll also say that my voice teacher, who also happened to be my acting one teacher, um, uh, her sort of, her way in, um, in terms of teaching voice was through um, Linklater technique. So there are a million schools of thought, like I've said, about any aspect of theater, any aspect of performance, right? So you get, you know, you can take movement classes in a million different styles. You can take uh, voice classes in a million different styles. Um, two of the sort of forerunners, at least in American universities, are Linklater technique and Fitzmaurice technique. Um, I I wound up doing Fitzmaurice uh, later down the road in grad school. Um, so for now, I'll mostly just talk about Linklater to the extent that I am sort of able uh, to to talk about that. Um, but baby, ba- basically, <laughs> baby, uh, basically, it has a lot in common with Alexander technique in that it is it's about identifying 
habits and why we have those habits. Um, Kristen Linklater's, you know, sort of best known book is called Freeing the Natural Voice. So again, there's that word natural, right? It's sort of the voice that is inside of all of us, the voice that we had when we were babies that we would use to cry and scream and giggle and just express ourselves in, in whatever way we needed to, right? It was our, our natural functional voice and it was massive. Um, and just the same way that we start to, you know, learn and develop new habits in movement, uh, we do the same thing with our voices. Um, and that, that really sort of shapes our identity um, and, and has a big impact on how you know, the rest of the world perceives us, those, those vocal habits that we create. So, um, yeah, so Linklater and Alexander, very uh, relatable to one another, just one is a little bit more... Um, you know, body focused and one's a little more voice focused. But just to to be fair, Alexander did start because an actor kept throwing his voice out and and realized, oh, it's probably something I'm doing with my body that's that's causing me to lose my voice. Um, that's that's causing me to strain. Okay, so with all that out of the way. Um, if you go and have a look at your baby, your friend's baby, whoever's baby, um, and just watch them while they're resting, uh, let's say they're on their back, you will notice that when they breathe in, their tummy rises, right? It, it appears that their, their tummy gets bigger, okay? And when they breathe out, it falls, Okay? So, if you imagine yourself, let's say, going to the doctor and the doctor puts their stethoscope on, you know, on your back, you know, sort of to listen to your lungs or something, and they say, big breath in, and imagine yourself taking that big breath in, or go ahead and do it right now. Chances are quite good, and if you haven't already, you can let that breath out. Chances are quite good that you did something that involved expanding your chest, your back, but especially lifting your shoulders, right? Um, if you didn't lift your shoulders, cool. But I, I would put down money that a lot of you, if you just did that, lifted your shoulders when you, uh, when you breathed, when you breathed in, okay? If you watch a baby... They're not doing that. Um, and again, I don't know why this happens, but it does. Um, you know, so just to sort of think about some possible reasons, um, you know, I when I think back to the cartoons that I watched when I was little, um, especially like really exaggerated stuff like Looney Tunes, I am, you know, I can imagine like a Looney Tunes version of. Little Red Riding Hood or the Three Little Pigs, right? Where the Big Bad Wolf is there. And the Big Bad Wolf, especially in Three Little Pigs, um, is taking in a massive heaping breath before he tries to blow down some houses. Okay? 
So imagine that, and I bet that that big bad wolf is puffing up his chest and raising his shoulders, might even just sort of become taller uh, in the image as that's happening. And so somehow we learn, I think, through, you know, through cartoons, uh, through any kind of media. I mean, it could be film, you know, um, you know, recorded real humans um, breathing in this strange way that we watch them and we learn. Um, And of course, if, you know, if you learn to breathe in this way, um, then your child... Uh, will watch every single thing that you do and start to copy you. Um, and if it's obvious that you breathe in this different way, they'll probably pick up on that and start to do it too if they haven't already from other outside sources. Um, the other thing that contributes to this, and, and again, I don't know how much that cartoon thing is actually true, but it feels strong. It, it feels like it's probably a part of the you know, a part of the puzzle. Um, but another thing, and it's so sort of heartbreaking to to think about, is, so you watch that, you know, that baby's tummy rise and fall. Babies have tummies, and they're cute. And in society, babies are allowed to have tummies. And as babies get bigger and turn into kids and teenagers, they start to feel like they're not allowed to have tummies um, and they need to have flat stomachs with, you know, maybe with, you know, hard chiseled abs, you know, whatever, okay? And any suggestion that, that that's not what's under their shirt is, you know, that's crazy, yeah, I, I can't have a tummy that sticks out, even for a second, even when I'm breathing, okay? So if people get it in their minds that it is unattractive to have a tummy that sticks out at all, then that could easily contribute to the way that people breathe. That could make us want to try and... and you know, expand our lungs upwards, right? Or, you know, what we think of breathing into our chests. It doesn't work that way, right? Whatever, if if you do that, your breathing is automatically shallower than it could be, right? Which mean meaning you're not taking in enough air. Um, so that if you want to have a conversation, if you want to shout at somebody, um, you will need to breathe more often to get enough air to express what you want to express. Um, But if you can allow yourself to let your tummy rise and fall as you breathe, you will have more space and you will be able to take bigger breaths and you will be able to express yourself um, more efficiently and faster, if you like, um, in fewer breaths, okay? So, yeah, let's, let's, let's think about that. If you lift your shoulders, does that give your lungs more space? No, 
No, it, it, it really doesn't. I mean, maybe like on some microscopic level, maybe you're somehow doing that. Um, you know, maybe by lifting your shoulders, you're stretching out your torso a little bit so that whatever, you know, whatever amount of rise and fall of your tummy there was going to be is, is seems flatter. I, you know, I don't know. But the, definitely the most efficient thing you can do is to not push your tummy out, um, but to allow it to expand, right? And what is going on there? Why does it need to do that? All right. Um, if you've been alive and hearing people talk about breathing for the past you know, number of years, it's it's certainly, I think, a more common thing to hear about than than it used to be. Um, but people people talk about uh, using your diaphragm when you breathe. So whether that's an acting teacher or uh, like a chorus singing teacher or someone, you, you may have heard someone talk about breathing with your diaphragm or maybe even breathing from your diaphragm. Um, you might have heard the phrase diaphragmatic breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, right? So any of that stuff, um, it just to be clear, when someone says breathe from your diaphragm, that's that's a probably a, an unfortunate way of phrasing that because it makes it sound like there is this alternative breathing apparatus that you have where you can you can collect air called your diaphragm and that's not true your diaphragm doesn't do that um and again i'm no expert i'm just sharing what i learned in school um and possibly with you know the odd error uh mixed in there but my understanding is your lungs are are pretty high up in your torso, especially um, after you you know by the time you've exhaled and you've released air from your body, your your lungs are you know in a smaller um, a smaller state, and they're they're yeah high up in your torso. For them to fill up with air when you breathe in, they need space going down uh, to expand so they can fill up with air, right? Uh, the thing is you've got all these organs down below your lungs um, and they need, they need somewhere to be, right? They're going to be there. Um, so if your lungs want to expand, those organs need to get out of the way. And how do we do that? Well, we engage our diaphragm, which is this cool sort of membranish muscle um, that when you engage it, pushes down your other organs. Um, and if you allow your tummy to rise or to sort of stick out if you're standing, then that gives your organs somewhere to go, okay? So your diaphragm pushes down the organs and allowing your tummy to expand gives those organs space. All right? And then when you're ready to exhale, you know, you 
your tummy can come on back in, your diaphragm uh, releases, right? And because your your lungs no longer need that real estate, okay? And it's it's that it's that sort of simple, right? So just think about it in those sort of three parts, right? The the lungs, um, you know, the diaphragm pushes down on the organs, and your tummy makes space. And then it does it all in reverse, and then again, and back and forth, and back and forth. So that is why it is so key to be able to to let your tummy expand. And this is not this is not an easy thing to to wrap one's mind around. Um, it like even when I started to understand how that works intellectually. It took me ages to still like figure out how to actually do it, right? Um, and so, you know, there, there's a number of things that you can do. The first thing is just get comfy, like plopping your hand on your tummy, right? Uh, because that gives you sort of a, an extra sensation of how it's moving, right? So, if if you do that, if you put your hand there and you breathe in and your hand moves away from you, then, then that's, that's great. That's a good sign, right? Um, if it doesn't move at all, then you've got some work to do. Um, and if it actually moves in, because you're breathing in and you're actually kind of sucking in, then that's, you know, that's sort of the opposite of, of what you want. But if you breathe in and it, your hand goes away from you know your spine let's say a little bit then you're on the right path um and again like i said you don't want to push it out but you want to allow it to release um but you know if if you can't if you're not there yet at that sort of releasing stage you can play around with pushing it out just to get an idea of of what that feels like um but just sort of know, you know, take that with a grain of salt and know that that's not, that's not what your end product is going to look or feel like. Um, okay, great. So that's like, there is your sort of visual spoken idea of what it can be like when you breathe. The, the other really important um, things to kind of know about breathing is that it doesn't it doesn't start from your mouth it starts in your brain right it starts in your brain because you have you've you've taken in some information some stimulus um right something and you have a desire a need an impulse or whatever to respond to that, right? That could be another person talking. It could be something that you see. It could be very casual. It could be a total emergency. Whatever the thing is that you need to respond to, you know, you're you're taking that in through one of your senses, right? Um, you know, or it, it could just be a thought in your in your brain, something that you've you know, remembered. And so let's say it's your sort of mind's eye sense that you've got going on. Um, and, and now you need to respond to it. You know, some people can respond to it 
quietly inside their minds. And some people, or at different times, different people might express that out loud, even if there's no one there to listen. Um, I'm sure most of you listening to this probably talk to yourself out loud once in a while, whether there's someone in the room or not. Um, But anyway, yeah, so you get an impulse. You get sort of some need to communicate something, um, you know, verbally. This is if you're talking, obviously. If you're just breathing, um, then then this is pretty involuntary. Um, Or you've been requested by someone to breathe, like at the doctor or an acting teacher or whatever. Um, You know, I think, now that I think about it, I wonder if if you know one of those those things that starts us creating these weird breathing habits is being told to breathe right so that just imagine you're a baby and you've just been breathing away your whole however many days or months or however long you've been alive you've just been just been breathing and you get to a point where you're you know your brain is formed enough that um, a parent or someone could say to you, um, breathe, take a breath. You know, you're, you're upset and someone says, it's okay, just breathe, right? And as soon as you intellectualize breathing, as soon as it becomes a thing that you can think about, I feel like that, I feel like that must start you down some path of shifting the way that you breathe, right? It's just that thing of, you know, if someone tells you to clear your mind, it's so easy to just start thinking about all the things you could possibly think about, right? If someone says, just breathe, then you start, you know, realize, wait, I've I've never thought about breathing before. Okay, how do I how do I just breathe? Okay. Uh, is it like this? I, f- I feel like I've seen people do it like this. You know, sort of negating the fact that, like, you could just do that, right? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, so like, let's say this is your breathing to be able to talk, to communicate, right? So you, you receive some stimulus, and then an impulse is created in your mind, right? There's synapses firing and neurons communicating blah 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 and all this you know stuff that i i um sounds nice but i can't exactly remember from my psych classes how that all works but anyway you yeah so that you know that impulse um sends a signal for you to take in some air right and you're either going to take that air in through your nose or through your mouth um, and it will find its way, um, you know, into your trachea, right? Which is, you've got two pipes going down your, uh, your throat there, um, the esophagus and the trachea. The trachea is the one for air. Um, and it goes down there, uh, and then it does a the whole thing that, you know, you learn about in, in seventh grade biology, um, where, it, <laughs> you know, uh, goes into your lungs and into your heart you know it it oxygenates your blood all that good stuff but anyway you're getting enough air in that 
that you can talk, right? Um, and if you know that you've just got to say, hey, how's it going? You don't need a big breath. And it's better to not take a big breath because if you take a big breath and you go like this, <gasps> hi, how's it going? <sighs> then you've got this massive leftover bit of breath that you've it's got to go somewhere. Uh, and it might just seem kind of weird. It would seem very weird if you just hold on to it, but also pretty weird if you then have a big <sighs> sigh of relief uh, after you just said, hi, how's it going? Um, so yeah, you you're the impulse, um, whatever you want to communicate, you know, whatever your brain sort of decides, like, okay, I'm going to communicate this now, it corresponds to the amount of work that your body does to take in air, which informs the amount of air that it takes in, okay? Um, but if you're just talking extemporaneously, like I am right now, um, you have some idea of how much air you need um but not not quite as um you're not quite as much of an expert in how much air you're going to need as you would be if if you've got a script like let's say you're doing shakespeare or something um and you know that you've there's four lines of text until you hit a period or a full stop right um and you want to have enough breath to get through those whole four lines, um, you know, that you can pause when, every time you hit a comma, but you don't need to take a full in-breath until you hit that period or full stop. Um, you know, it's... that That's how it works. You, so you take in that amount of air, um, and then you say your piece... And you, as you've said your piece, you have exhaled, you know, hopefully all that air. Uh, maybe there's a teeny bit left over. Hopefully you haven't run out right before the last word. Um, you know, that's, watch, one thing is so fun, watch TV shows, right? Um, because generally um, in acting on screen, Generally, you, you don't need such big breaths, right? Um, you know, the, the demand for your breathing is usually a little bit smaller. Um, but there are certainly heated moments uh, in TV shows, right? So let's say you're watching like a hospital drama or something like that. Um, and there's, you know, maybe there's an actor who is, you know, outraged that somebody did a thing a certain way um, and they're just so beside themselves and they're shouting at the person who did the thing wrong and and maybe it's a, like a really big, big moment. But just like notice um, whether they took in enough air um, to express all that, right? If you're haranguing somebody, if you're really like giving it to somebody and you don't take enough air in, but you really got to make your point, then by the end of it, you're not really going to have much air. And you can just kind of hear how their voice sort of thins out. Um, and then, and, and then it sort of defeats the, you know, it, it takes away the power, um, of, 
of what they were trying to say. And unfortunately, you know, with TV and movies, it's not up to that actor whether that take gets used or whether um, a different take where they did use enough air gets used because maybe the, the, you know, small breath take looked better in some other way and the big breath take, you know, was great for the breath, but it had some other issues with it. Um, so, yeah, if you're doing theater, if you're doing Shakespeare, you really, you know, if you're singing, you know, you've really got to be aware of of how much breath you're taking in. Like, just, you know, go explore some, like, really amazing hip-hop artists, people who um, fit a ton of words into a very small, you know, space of time um, and just kind of consider how much work they have to do to control their breath, right? Because every time your your lips and your teeth and your tongue move in different ways to form different words, it uses a little bit more air, right? So you could sing a note continuously, you know, just one long note in of one word continuously for you know, eight measures, let's say. But if you say, let's say, 20 or 30 words in those same eight measures, that is using way more air um, because you've had to sort of reshape your mouth and air is getting lost every time you, you know, uh, switch things around. Um, So you've got to know to be able to perform that that you're going to need more air than the person who is singing one long sustained note for those same eight measures. It's It can get very complicated, but the main thing is just to start by figuring out, okay, how do I do this? How do I breathe like a baby? Okay? How do I allow my tummy to rise and fall? So, like I said, you put that hand on there and sort of just watch what happens with it. Another thing is to actually just lie on your back. You know, on in your bed is okay, but on the floor is even better. So you're you're getting a real like solid response from the floor. Um, you can you can feel um, whether your your tummy is really rising and falling more if you're on the a harder surface. Um, so check that out. Um, and then there is, there's another thing and here's a little exercise. Um, and I, I would love it for you to try this little exercise to help yourself get in touch with your breath, with your natural breathing. It's sort of, um, it's, it's almost like a, like a fake it till you make it kind of technique, um, where you're doing something that is so, not at all natural, but it gives you the sensation. Um, so this is something you, you couldn't do this. Well, I mean, you could, but it would be weird. Uh, if, if you were performing in a play, you probably wouldn't stop and do this in aid of taking a, a healthy breath um, because it would totally disrupt the flow of, of the performance. Um, but just to sort of get in touch with your breath and... Um, and feel that 
you know, to feel what it feels like to take in a breath. Um, it's called vacuuming the lungs. So I'm going to sort of walk you through it. Just listen to it once. Listen to what I'm saying. Um, and then, you know, either you, you understand it and then you can go ahead and try it on your own. Um, or you can play this bit back, obviously, um, and and try it when you feel up for it. But um, yeah, don't don't just start doing it as I'm saying it. Uh, the other really important um, point for this is to sit down to do it. Sit on the floor, right? Cross your legs, crisscross applesauce, um, and sit up. Right, where just imagine that you know there's a string, a very hearty string attached to the top of your head, and someone is just sort of gently pulling it, kind of holding you, holding you upright. Um, and the reason that you need to be sitting on the floor is that you know you could um, become very sh- you could become very short of breath, um, and depending on how, you know, how in touch you are with your own breathing, um, you might get a little lightheaded. And it's always good to be down low when you get lightheaded. So I hope no one gets lightheaded, but just in case, sit on the floor. All right. Um, If you're driving while you're listening to this, I would say stop listening to this so you don't get tempted to try it and then listen to it later. Um, but if you have to keep listening, don't do this. Just listen. Okay, so you're sat on the floor, legs crossed, spine nice and healthy and alert and upright. And so what you're going to do is, I might have already said, it's called vacuuming the lungs, but basically you want to try and clear as much air out of your lungs as you possibly can, right? And it's nice to do this you know, you can just go, you can just sort of blow all the air out. Um, you can do it, you can like close your teeth and do it on a s- sound. Um, but however you do it, start blowing all the air out. And as you, you know, once you get to a point where you feel like, oh, I've, I've pushed out all the air that was in my lungs, um, you know, try and hold your hold your breath, and once you've held your breath, try to push a little more, and then and keep holding it. You know, each time you push, then push and hold and push and hold um, until, and then when you feel like there's no more to push out, um, you know, keep holding your breath and sort of lean your torso from one side to the other, and that's kind of like. You know, sort of like if if you've sealed something in a Ziploc bag and you're just like, you've got a tiny little, you know, opening at the top and you're just using your hands to squeeze anything else out. Um, that's sort of what you're doing. You're you're leaning your torso from side to side to get any last little bits out. Um, and then once you've done that and there's, there's absolutely no air that you could possibly imagine getting out... Um, you know, then you pinch your uh, nose with your fingers um, so that no air can get in. You close your mouth um, 
And you just hold that only to the point that it is comfortable, right? If it starts to become uncomfortable or painful, don't do that, right? Um, this this shouldn't hurt, but it you sh- you should definitely feel these sensations. That's that's a big part of it. But basically, once you've pushed all the air out and you're totally bereft of air, then all at once, um, let go of your nose and let your mouth open and allow air to come in. Um, and your body is so much in need of air that it will take it in in the most efficient way possible. Um, and... If you have, if there's, if you have any ability to allow your tummy to rise, it will, okay, um, or or to, you know, sort of expand outward, um, and that is a way that you can feel what it feels like. You're sort of whatever habits you've developed that tell you to to keep your tummy sucked in, locked tight, and to lift your shoulders. Um, you know, this is sort of short-circuiting those habits and saying those habits, they they don't have any foothold here, right? They they can't block this because this is 100% like huge demand for breath, right? I need this breath to survive. So the body says, I'm going to take it in like I'm a baby because I really need it. Um, so... I'm going to do it right now, you know, you don't get to see me do it, it's a podcast, um, but you can kind of hear what's going on, uh, it was broken up before by me talking, um, I might talk a little bit in a sort of out of breath kind of way, um, but yeah, here, here it goes, so just have a listen. Pinching my nose. Oh, no, rocking side to side. Pinching my nose. And it feels amazing. And I've, I've done that, you know, heaps of times in my life. So, it, it you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to it. But still, it does that bypass thing. Like, even though I know how to allow my tummy to, to you know, release, uh, to make space for air, even though I know how to do that, I still have weird habits. I still have body stuff, right? Um, I still, I'm sure, have times where I don't breathe in a healthy kind of way. Um, but that does it, right? Um, and... If you do this and if you do this and it, it doesn't quite work out that way or you're still lifting your shoulders, that's okay, right? You know, don't you know, don't stress about that. Um it, it will eventually come if you dedicate some brain power to figuring this out, you can get there. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um but yeah, it, it really depends on the strength 
of those habits and the stories that we've told ourselves and the reasons that we have for allowing or disallowing our bodies to, to you know, move and behave in certain ways. Um, so yeah, don't despair if it doesn't work out straight away. But that is sort of the, the best um, hack I know uh, about figuring out how to breathe efficiently and what it feels like to breathe efficiently, right? And then, you know, you can do sort of little versions of that. Like once you experience that and you feel that like, oh, that really like, that that really went in the most efficient way possible, then you can do sort of smaller versions of vacuuming the lungs where you don't push everything out. You don't, you know, it's not so tight. And then see if when you, when you allow air in, if it does that same thing, right? Um, and you can sort of just keep scaling that back until you're at the point where you're just taking a breath in and you, and you feel your tummy release and, and your shoulders don't lift up in that unnecessary kind of way. And that's that. And, and, and you know, it could take a few days. It could take weeks, months. It could take a year for you to sort of do this, to, to be able to do this sort of on demand, right? Um, and then eventually it gets to a point where you, you've done it so much, you've practiced it so much, you know, you've thought about doing it and you've done it. And then eventually it just sort of becomes unconscious, not totally unconscious. That would be awesome. Um, but there are still many times after years and years and years of this practice when I'm having to remind myself how to breathe. So if, if it doesn't become, you know, old habits, are so tricky to to rewire and adjust. Um, so don't beat yourself up if if you don't find this one shifting as quickly as you would like to. Just keep practicing; you'll be fine. Um. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I, I hope that is helpful. I, I just want to sort of speak to one other thing about habits and breathing. Um, and it's more sort of on the voice side of things. Um, and it relates to the whole Linklater philosophy about, you know, how, how we breathe and speak and, and express vocally naturally when we're young and how that changes, uh, how that changes shape over time. Um, so in addition to babies and kids watching the you know, the bigger kids or grown-ups around them and learning those habits from them. It also has a lot to do with what people say to us, right? Um, and there's... People say things to us that they don't even realize they're saying to us and they definitely don't know how sort of damaging those things are to us. And they they definitely don't realize that they are building unconscious habits in us that could be hugely detrimental, right? Some people might. Some people might be manipulative jerks who are like actively trying to to ruin, you know, your life. But hopefully those are very, very, very few. Um, and most of the time it's just people being maybe a little bit selfish and not realizing, you know, what 
what's actually good for us when we're kids, right? Um, I think that's that's a really common theme, and I know I'm certainly guilty of it of of sort of prioritizing what makes my life easier um, over what a child actually needs. It it happens, um, and so a lot of times when a, a parent or you know a caregiver tells a kid to do something. Um, it's not actually for the benefit of the child. It's often for the benefit of that caregiver to make their life a little bit easier. Um, but anyway, let's let's just have a, a for instance here. Let's just give an example. Um, you know, if if you are, let's say, you are, you know, you are born a girl. Right, um, and you're you like to you like to have a chat. You like to run around. You like to do whatever kinds of things you like to do. And there's nothing proper about the way that you behave or the way that you speak. Um, but it's fun, and you're having fun, and you feel free, and that's great. And then somebody, some grown up, says to you. You know, like maybe you say something and that grown up says, that's not very ladylike. Massive atomic bomb inside your brain that you don't even realize is going off. And you have all these thoughts. What? What does that mean? Why? I should need to be more ladylike. What is ladylike? Oh, and then you start like looking around for, okay, what does ladylike mean? Well, and if that... If that person who said that thing identifies as a lady, then surely they must know. So I'll just watch what they do. Um, and maybe they are, I, I don't know what, all, any of the stereotypes that people have around what ladylike is, uh, and in particular around um, what a ladylike voice sounds like. Um, you know, if, is, it, is it higher pitched? Is it submissive? You know, whatever the thing. Same goes for you know, boys and the the things that people say to them that concern their voice, right? If you, if you speak, uh, you know, in a high-pitched kind of way, if you lisp at all, if you, you know, whatever the thing is that results in somebody um, accusing you or sort of just, you know, casually observing that you don't really, you know, that you need to talk like a man, same huge atomic bomb. What does that mean? Who who should I start to emulate so that I can, um, you know, sound more like a man? And and depending on your relationship with that person, you know, that determines how much you care about what they say and how much you think you need to do what they say. And so, if it's someone that you care about a lot, uh, or someone who, I don't know, controls big parts of your life, like. I don't know, your food or how much you get to play with your friends or, you know, any of those things, you will, you will start to adjust your behavior accordingly if, if you think it will benefit you or if you think it will keep you from, you know, keep you safe from other trauma or, you know, whatever the th- it is. Um, it's so easy. Like the tiniest little comment can have massive repercussions and the people making those comments don't even realize it. And I have, 
oh man, I've really tried to be conscious and aware of that as a parent. And I, like, even so, I bet, I bet that I have said something really dumb like that, um, you know, to my child. And she seems pretty, you know, free um, and, and expressive. But in those moments when, you know, when she doesn't seem that way, I wonder, you know, what's, what's my role in that? Have I said something? Have I messed something up? How can I, how can I adjust that in a, in a not heavy handed way? Right. So just, you know, express yourself. But if you're talking to kids, understand that those spongy little minds they have, it's, it's not just like, oh, be careful what you say because they'll start repeating it, right? I mean, that's true. That's totally true. But be careful what you say because they will, depending on your relationship to them, they'll take it on board and they'll change their identity around, you know, little one-off comments that are made. Um, you know, even more so if they're repeated over and over and over again. But it doesn't take much. Um, and so that's like, there is definitely in this work of, of Linklater and Alexander, there's definitely sort of a therapy aspect of sort of peeling back the layers and identifying, okay, w- what is this habit that I have? Oh, why do I have this habit? Where did it come from? What, what am I valuing that's causing me to repeat this habit that is actually to my physical or vocal detriment. So much more could be said on this topic, and I expect that it will in the weeks and months and years to come. Um, But yeah. So go forth and try to feel what efficient breathing feels like, what expressive, natural breath feels like. Try to feel what it feels. I mean, if you have to, go somewhere deserted or go out to your car with your windows rolled up or wherever you need to go and imagine that you are a baby that hasn't that just woke up from like a three-hour nap and you are so hungry and no one's bringing you any food and let it out. Like let your voice out. Just feel what it feels like to have the freedom to, you know, to express yourself like that. And you might even start to reverse engineer that that sort of ability of breathing, right? If you start from, okay, how does that how does that express and what do I need to do to be able to express that way? You could do it that way. Um, but just play around, explore what breathing is, how it feels. And for the love of all that is good in the world, if you talk to a child anytime soon or anytime in the future, just be mindful about what you say to them about the way they talk, about the way that they move, about the way they play, draw, behave, whatever. Because um, it, 
it has more of an impact than any of us really realize um, and just encourage them to be who they are um, and if they're not hurting anybody encourage them to keep expressing themselves all right I think that's good for me. I hope you're doing well. Take care of each other. And I expect I'll be back next week. Um, If you have any questions about this, anything from previous episodes, anything from just things you've heard or read about theater, drop me a line. Theater School Pod. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R School Pod. P-O-D at gmail.com and yeah can't wait next time